predation. These will be subject to de-emphasis. These will be subject to de-evolution. New evolutionary paradigm will give us the human traits of truth, of loyalty, of justice, of freedom. These will be the manifestations of the new evolution. And that is what we would hope to see from this. Welcome to the Esoteric Negro. Today, our guest is Cam Franklin. Cam is a American singer, songwriter, performance artist, activist, writer, and she's most known to be the lead singer for the Houston soul group, The Suffers. Cam's been a friend of mine since the early 2000s. She's incredibly talented and intelligent, and it was great to catch up with her. And when this was recorded, we were collecting our thoughts before the election. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation and thank you. Thank you for listening. So I'm going to let you introduce okay. yourself because I have lots of things to say, okay. but I want you to <laughs> introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Cam Franklin. I am the lead singer of a band from Houston, Texas called The Suffers. Uh, we've been together almost 10 years touring independently, and uh, I just launched a new biz business in the middle of COVID called Homegirl Island. Um, which is basically a production company where I've exiled myself to because I've just talked too much shit and asked too many questions in regards to the health and well-being of Black artists and mm -hmm. women. I was thinking about when I started this, I was like, okay, so I want to amplify, like, obviously I want to talk about other things, but I wanted to talk about some of the unique experiences in our community. And I feel like you and I and a couple other young ladies have this unique experiences where we experience white spaces and it's being us in those spaces, being the only ones mm -hmm. in those spaces. And oh, creatively, yeah. I kind of want you to, the whole purpose is I want you to give people like an inside peek of what it's like um, and what you've learned and what's kind of like your journey now. Cause I mean, obviously I've known you for a long time and yes. I think that, I mean, we'll start with, um, we'll start right in high school. Like when you, when did you okay. know that, you know, you wanted to be a singer and who helped you along that path? Who didn't, <laughs> you can like, you know, tell us all of it. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew I wanted to be a singer from the age of five. That's when I really first got the opportunity to hold a microphone as, and as you can see, I've been, I've been holding on to them mm -hmm. ever since, but, um, my first band I joined in 2004, uh, at the end of my junior year, it was called the Blue Lights. And um, we were together for like maybe almost two years and then uh, broke up when everybody went to college. And then uh, I joined a band after that called Heptic Skeptic that was still ska, but a, a bit more rock steady, a lot more progressive rock and uh, R&B. Mm -hmm. And I think any any band I really joined with is going to get that R&B soul tag on it, no mm -hmm. matter what I do. It could be metal, whatever. But mm -hmm. um, that band lasted like maybe almost almost two and a half years, which is a long time for mm -hmm. <laughs> for bands that in mm -hmm. that era of your life when you're in your early 20s, late teens and stuff. And we had a lot of fun. And um, after that, I moved on to my first I guess, go around doing it all solo, which is like 2007 and did that for a couple of years and had a good run, but I broke my ankle. Uh, yeah, I remember that. After oh, getting, I got a little too yeah. fucked up one night and broke my ankle and my ankle came out of both sides of my leg and I stayed off the road for a few years and I stayed off stage for a few years and I got a real job and 
thought I was going to get married, you know, like almost got this whole ass life. And, um, in 2011, you know, my, my leg was coming back and, uh, but it wasn't exactly there just yet. I actually ended up getting the metal removed a few years later because it was just becoming just too much, too much. Um, but, uh, I got a call from Adam Castaneda, who's the former bass player for the sufferers and one of the founding members and, uh, our former drummer slash keyboardist, um, Patrick Kelly saying that they were starting this new project called the suffer. Well, at that time it would be called the sufferers. And, um, they asked if I'd be interested in singing a few songs and um, it was supposed to be this like super group of all these members of different bands that they really liked. And um, I think when we first started, it was like maybe 10 or 11 people um, before, like we had like a few weeks of just like random people popping into the rehearsals before it became uh, that solid 10 (laughs) that it became uh, for the first real couple of years. And so, Um, next year makes 10 years of the suffers doing this and um, it'll be oof, six years of us doing it full time and really just trying to do this whole independent music thing and, and figuring out how to get better at it, how to uh, learn from our, our past mistakes and just keep growing. And um, we have a new bass player named Juliet Terrell, who I'm, I'm so happy to have uh, in, in the realm with me and um, constantly learning from her and, uh, growing with her. She's also from Houston, but she's uh, based up in Portland now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just it's just a really nice time to to really exist as a band. Right now, we're wrapping up our third record, which I'm actually executive producing. And this is the mm-hmm. first time that I've taken over uh, that task. And so I'm just kind of, <laughs> you know, really enjoying being in the, the driver's chair a little bit, but also just evolving with my group and evolving as an artist. Yeah, I uh, I want to mention really quick before I kind of go into a little a little rant that um, Cam, in my opinion, was is, is kind of a great example of how the Houston music scene grew because it was like you were kind of at the beginning of it, right? And kind of got to see, or most of like, I mean, not the entire scene, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it depends on who you ask me, but I feel like of, of the current Renaissance that we are seeing yes. right now mm-hmm. of like Krung Ben and, mm-hmm. and Lizzo mm-hmm. and, you know, and, yeah. and our, ourselves would definitely be included in that. Um, you know, it's, it's been really cool to just see everybody mm-hmm. starting from, you know, how am I going to make this work to, mm-hmm. all right, this is the job. Right. And I want everyone listening to this to kind of understand, because I have a lot of friends out here, obviously I'm in L.A. now, that kind of have a frame of reference of what it was like in South Texas in 2004 in that scene. There really wasn't, again, like you said, this little renaissance happening back then. I mean, I mean, it was. I mean, back back in 2004, though, while, yes, there was a renaissance and yes, we were out here all really doing our thing the music industry is racist today but it was way more like exactly like normalized back then mm-hmm. um to where you just really wouldn't see that much coming out of texas that was like not country rap or r&b mm-hmm. and so like i think my like you know even though i loved beyonce and destiny's child and everything and that was like whew, peak destiny's child bills bills mm-hmm. bills yes but like um you know being a weirdo and just like being really into yep. all genres, especially 
uh, more alternative genres. Uh, I would say my only true Texas solace back then was the Mars Volta. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they were from El Paso, which is like 12 hours away from Houston. And so I got to see them once while I was in high school. And it's funny because Cedric is, is now a friend of the band and we love him so much. But, uh, um, back when I was in high school, I remember going to see them at, uh, this venue that's, uh, it was called Verizon Wireless back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got grounded because I was out too late and I didn't have a cell phone. I lost my shoe at the show. Mm-hmm. Like just like it was just like a, a whole like mess. But, you know, I'm so glad I went because I needed to see what someone that was like a little darker mm-hmm. looked like on stage. Because yeah. at the time, you know, you'd go to shows and it was rare. Like it, the, the only black were person so, at a show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, one of three. Like, we all knew each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like seeing and that was back when their uh, the keyboardist Ike was still Ike Owens was still alive. And so mm-hmm. getting to see a black man doing uh, rock and roll that was like not that much older than me, because that was the mm-hmm. other disconnect was like, yeah, there was Lenny Kravitz and like, mm-hmm. yeah, there was Prince. But like they were just so far, you know, so far mm-hmm. uh, beyond that, you know, seeing seeing someone that looks like like you. Mm -hmm. Uh, at that level of their career where they're playing like, you know, arenas or like smaller clubs, like it it really becomes the motivation. And so, you know, between them and I think the the other one that really kept me going back then was Fishbone. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I just really didn't have that example of of what I feel like I'm doing now. And so I think it's kind of like why it's so important for me to like finish so much of what I do now, because I'm just like, man, it has to be easier for whoever comes next. It yeah. has to be easier. Yeah. You're definitely running so they can walk. <laughs> That's the thing. So these young ones come, and I just, yeah, I, I just, you know, not that I want to harp on anything, but I just want people to understand that all those cultural incidences that are weird, that people are just like, oh my God, you know, like we, I can say that I experienced a lot of it, which is just racism. Let's just call it what it is. Like, and those things we, all experience during those time periods. And now it's, yeah, now it's kind of refreshing to see it's gotten a little bit better, um, but not very slow, very, very slow. slow it's pace. such a slow progression. Yeah. Um, but I also, so when you started this, you know, when the suffers were, I mean, when you guys released your album, I think your first album, like when did you realize that this band in particular was like, you know, like the right fit and like a special, I, I definitely say I felt that way after the first rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty obvious that like, okay, this is, this is something different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you're in project after project after project, you know, when, you know, it's different. I, I tell mm-hmm. people sometimes it's when your parents stop telling you your music sucks. Like, mm-hmm. but you know, that like, that's what it was for the suffers. It was like the first time. I remember my parents actually liking one of my bands, mm-hmm. which I just thought was hilarious because I was like, I hate all my bands. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> um, I was making so much punk and stuff back then. But um, now it's like, you know, it's a band that they can share with their friends and and people feel connected to us yeah. in a different way. And um, I feel like it's, it's the big difference between making genre specific music and universal music mm-hmm. and timeless music. And so, 
um, you know, we do try to focus more on the connection now than, um, well, I guess not now. Like, I think we've always tried to focus on the connection. And um, I feel like the Suffers has been a band that I've been allowed to really grow into. Um, I've been in the band since I was 23, you know, and so it's like being able to like grow uh, as a group with this many people is something that most people can't even say they've done, you know, with anybody mm -hmm. that romantically or with a friendship or whatever. And so to not only still be running this business with my close friends and um, to have <laughs> gone through so many of the hurdles mm -hmm. that we've gone through together, you know, I, I feel like, dang, you know, it's only, it's only up from here, you know? Right. And I, I, one of the reoccurring, I mean, as a personal testimony, I love the fact that like, ever since I've known you, I feel like you've been really big on, I mean, positivity and uplifting people. I think, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And respect. Um, and I've seen, I mean, watching from afar, like a lot of my friends that I've been watching them, you know, do their thing. Uh, I feel like you've almost taken a turn and like make that a part of your wheelhouse and like how you communicate through social media and to everyone else and like, you know, really trying to encourage people. Um, yeah, right I mean, I, I had to start not like leading by example. I had to start living by example mm -hmm. because people will, yeah, you know, I got to tell you, you're in L.A. Like people <laughs> will treat you like shit and just like keep going about their yeah. day as if like you did something, you know, mm -hmm. like it's it, it, and it just really amazes me sometimes like how some people can go through life under like this gaze as if we're all in incapable of fucking up mm -hmm. in the same way or whatever, or making mistakes. And so, um, you know, I was raised in a household where we just, we led with love mm -hmm. and acceptance and non-judgment. Non and, um, you know, yes, I had my conflicts of interest like anybody else would, especially growing up in the church and whatnot. But like, mm -hmm. as I grow more into my own adulthood and, you know, just dive deeper into my understanding of who I am as a, as a woman and as a human, I don't want to make people feel bad when we're having, you know, basic conversations mm. or engagements. Like I hate that feeling of I don't belong here or whatever. And, you know, I've always been a big, big proponent when someone's like, Oh, you know, what, what would you say your, your biggest strength is? And I'm like, I love making people feel welcome. Cause I know how, how that feeling of awkwardness or anxiety, you're feeling like you don't belong can ruin an entire vibe when like, sometimes, you know, some of us just have resting bitch face. It's not that we don't like you. Or sometimes it's that, you know, we all need to eat a little something. It's not that like you actually did anything, but you know, these are these are all lessons that I've had to kind of dive into more as I've been with the band and gotten to know all of our quirks. But it's like, you know, I, I feel like we don't have to lead with uh, exclusivity that keeps out uh, people from progressing or, or wanting to even try. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I hate that shit. And I feel like, you know, everything I do, everything we all do, be it a gift or not, you know, we're all capable of trying mm -hmm. and, 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 and seeing what happens. But like, it always breaks my heart when people just feel discouraged because others just have put that energy on them. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've, especially with, again, I asked, when I started this project, I didn't want it to be, I was like, well, I don't know if I wanted to, 
I couldn't ignore exactly, like you said, kind of like what's happening. And I, I know that happens to black women a lot. You know what I mean? Especially us. Especially we get, we get, I mean, we tend to go out. It's, it, people don't think we get, don't get discouraged. Like people think that like, you know, we were like made of steel, but we, you know, stuff does get to us. We just handle it, internalize it differently. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's a whole nother hour. Of talk to it, that's a, I mean, that's a whole, that's definitely but, a whole other conversation yeah. um, where I have to sometimes lead with my blackness mm. and, and not like in a form of like, oh, I'm playing a race card, yeah. but like statistically, you're not going to listen to me. Mm. Statistically, you're not going to believe me. Mm-hmm. Statistically, you're going to think I'm dangerous. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to be, or statistically, you're going to think I'm stupid. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I have to like almost like overcompensate and like why I say sometimes I used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to do a lot of things before this year hit mm-hmm. the way that it did. Mm-hmm. And my my patience, my tolerance levels, my energy mm. for like certain conversations, I just eject myself because I'm not the one. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I put especially when I was, you know, we 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 briefly touched on growing up black in white spaces. But it's like I feel like I was forced to give a very decent chunk of my life to uh code switching in order to feel safe mm. uh, or to, um, you know, almost suppressing my feelings and reactions and emotions uh, when I knew I was the victim of some sort of ra- racial uh, something, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it was just like the, after seeing everything that's occurred this year, the repeated public lynchings, the constant mistreatment of black people especially black women i'm just like yo there's a reason there's a reason james baldwin and josephine baker and nina simone left hmm. I was just like, there's a reason they fucking like, left. black in exile almost uh like with the dog that's why my business is called homegirl island yeah. <laughs> like i am tired of people fucking with yeah. me i'm just like look like you don't believe in me i got here without your approval and i will stay without your opinion and, you know, and it's it's like one of those things you you look at all these bands that have ever existed, some amazing, some like you don't care about. But here's the thing. Y'all like, for example, this is a perfect example. People can talk shit about Nickelback fans all they fucking want. But Nickelback still sells out everywhere they fucking go. First of all, and I'm going to say this really quickly and let you because I really I enjoy hearing you speak and I want you to. I feel like you're a great communicator, but um, not to, I'm not trying to get, actually, I'm just letting you know that how I feel about it. But um, yeah, using your, honestly, I didn't think if somebody had told me it did, it took me moving out here in some ways to understand the nuances of racism. I, I moved here in a lot of ways to get away from it. Um, but it's, it's here in a everywhere. different form. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I realized I didn't expect to have the same conversations with white folk here that I was like, having. The racism in LA exists in a very obvious way, but because black people are around, 
it's hard to say, oh, there's racism here. Mm-hmm. It's like, who has the jobs? Yeah. Who has <laughs> the money? Yeah. Until you see an equal amount of black people, women, trans people on set in studios owning these spaces, shit ain't equal, shit ain't even. No. And and I uh it's been and I think that what people don't realize that people see like this uprising, but they don't really look get to see that like there is a certain amount of emotional pain and burden that especially black women have carried through this because nobody wants to, it's exhausting to cut people off and to constantly have this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, I be I feeling lighter. I be feeling lighter. It's exhausting yeah. to go yeah. looking for them and shit. But yeah. like sometimes they just make it easy for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sad. I will say, especially when it's someone that you had better thoughts of. Yeah. Um, showing their true colors, yeah. but uh, I didn't. I didn't grow up uh, in the League City area. But it wasn't until I went to high school down there that I got that introduction, mm. because I was living in a bubble, living in Central Houston. I was like, oh, racism in Texas. What are these people talking about? Mm-hmm. Ah. And that's when I learned I was in a in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm grateful for that early introduction mm-hmm. that I received to racism. Um, because I really do feel as though it prepared me for when I did start touring, when I did start going mm-hmm. to these places, especially around the country where I'd be like, hmm, looking at people's music festivals. And I'm like, and I always say, look, you can get mad at me for asking the question, but it still doesn't change the fact that it needs to be asked. Yeah. You know, I'd look at these music festival lineups sometimes, maybe outside of, outside of like Coachella and South by because their demographics have always been pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be like, where are the female headliners? Mm. Where are the black people? Where are the Mexican people? Where are the Indians? Mm. Where, where, where are the Asians? Where is everybody? Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, <laughs> where? <laughs> like, you know, like, as if, like, I'm not asking everybody that. Yeah. And like, I would ask everybody that. Yeah. And so I know it's very hard. I don't, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not like, you know, discrediting them for doing and picking whatever music they like. But it's like, again, sometimes you don't realize when you become a gatekeeper. And it's like if you choose in those moments to not listen when you're being called one, mm-hmm. you know, you need to like look at your surroundings a little different. And, you know, gatekeeping can come in so many different forms and levels that like we sometimes think like, well, I'm, I'm not the CEO. Mm-hmm. I'm not the, you know, I'm not the president, mm-hmm. so I don't really have control, but it's like, sometimes you're someone's first step. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. And I definitely feel like it's important to, yeah, again, make it easier for the youngins to come up behind us. But I mean, at that same time, I feel like the ones that are younger than us are so adamant and they take no shit, which has been so yeah. <laughs> good for me to it's see. Great. I love it. Yeah, I too. love it so much. Yeah. I feel like I was like, damn, am I of the last suppressed generation? <laughs> if so, I fucking hope so. I hope so too. I really hope so. Yeah. I hope, you know, like, because living in fear is bullshit. Yeah. When they teach us to do the opposite, you know, being quiet is bullshit when they teach us to do the opposite. So I'm like, I always tell people I'm so confused when, you know, people aren't more brave, when people aren't, you know, more kind, when people aren't more peaceful. Mm-hmm. And then I think back, I'm like, oh, they cut the education here. Oh, they cut the music program mm-hmm. here. Oh, they cut the arts here. And I think that, and, you know, people can say whatever the fuck they want. If you are a young developing mind, 
and you don't have access to sports of some kind, some kind of exercise, decent food and vegetables of some kind and art, whether you like it or not, you know, I don't know if it's full, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it makes me start wondering, like, are mm-hmm. you whole? Yeah. Like, did they, did they, did they stop a growth process? Like did they, did they stall your potential a little bit because of a budget? Because, you know, and I, and I really do feel as though that's the thing. I feel like the, a lot of these education programs, because they've already gotten their training, they don't think about the long-term effects of a lot of the stuff that they cut. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if what's happening there. Um, but I'm sure that's, I feel like that's always been an issue in Texas. Like they always cut the wrong things and put money into like school wise and depending on where you live. Yes and no. I will say in my touring experiences, Texas actually does a pretty good job with, uh, maintaining most of their arts programs, not everywhere. Um, it has been a very big problem in California. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of music programs and whatnot getting cut. And so that's why I'm so grateful for like VH1 Save the Music and stuff like that. But it's like people don't understand a world without art, a world without music, people won't be able to function. Well, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because there seems to be it's one of those things where it's like, again, I feel like Texas is my family. It's like I can talk about them, but you can't. And I feel there's like a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of, it's a mess. Level, it's a mess. There's great things, but it's a mess. Down there's a lot of hypocritical too. energy, especially during this, the past couple of weeks when, you know, I had friends posting stuff about, you know, Louisiana and the Southern states and, you know, progressives here and stuff like that. And I was just thinking to myself, like, and I even said something, I was just like on social media, I was like, you know, you guys really aren't giving people the credit. And you think people oh, don't the, want to vote, like but... the memes and stuff. Yeah, and posting. it was really making me angry. Oh yeah, I saw one that said something like, uh, "Yeah, don't ask us the next time that there's a hurricane." And I'm like, "Oh, how funny!" Because I definitely performed for a wildfire fundraiser. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, okay, <laughs> it's like, okay, up. it's like you know, but be. Yeah. It's like be mindful. Yeah, be you mindful. Know, city on fire and annually. And you know, they think that this they're just, you know, these states. I've had people, I mean, I'm just getting off topic, but anyways, like misconceptions about Texas. I had an interview. I was actually home to hang out with my mom and my grandma during the summer, right before the second spike happened. And I did an interview and then I came back for like a in face like team interview, but the lady was like, she said that, you know, we've always thought about taking a road trip, but we've always been told don't stop in Texas. And I was just like, well, first of all, how are you not going to stop oh, in wow. Texas? Really, and this woman was like, really like, silly. You know, and, and so it was just kind of like, wow, like that is the perception. Like, you guys really live in a bubble and you think that it's just like, you know. This- I think it's also where you're going through Texas. Texas is such a big state. That's like saying, right. you know, oh, I went to California once and I didn't like it, but you went to like, you know, Fresno. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like a lot of times, especially if you're coming from the yeah. West and you're driving through Amarillo, which is like North Panhandle, yeah. Texas, that means that you're probably only going to get introduced to the cow farms mm-hmm. and like all of that and that funk and yeah. stuff. But it's like, you know, you're coming from the very South, you know, Big Ben, Marfa, Houston, yeah. Austin, whatever. But it's like, I ain't got to sell. I ain't, you know what? Yeah. T- tell them, like, tell them to go to, go to whatever <laughs> other state. <laughs> Don't move here. Don't yes. move there Go for the cheap real states. estate then, you know. Like, yeah, that's what's like, there's a reason people keep moving down exactly, south. Exactly, exactly. You know, aside, aside from the racism. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, again, <laughs> it's been that kind of thing recently. I, um, But so, and I noticed too, I think this is happening with a lot of people that I follow too, like when COVID hit, 
it seems like you amped up on not only just like productivity, what can I do? Um, You've always been that way, but I feel like you've been more vocal and, um, and yeah, I mean, definitely like it's, I feel like that was, we were already there and already probably saying stuff for the longest, but that was like the, well, now that we have your attention, this is my list (laughs) of, you know, oh man! But you seem like your yeah. audience, and also like you can speak on this as well too. Like it seems like too, and I've noticed too that like because I feel like you're you you guys are a hometown favorite. You're a hometown favorite at this point. There are a lot of people that seem like they had like you did get a little bit of a you got a backlash, you know, for a lot of a lot of that. Oh yeah, I mean, I I always laugh, but. You know, you can be 2020 especially has taught me that I can be a black woman in America and make soul music and black music um, and then have fans get mad because I choose to defend black people. And it it just it doesn't, you know, register to me. and I always, you know, let them know that that unfollow button is there for them if they need it. Uh, the unsubscribe button is there if they don't want to come to a show. Fantastic. Great. <laughs> you know, maybe somebody will be safer uh, with them not there. But, like, I really don't care to have that kind of energy around mm. me when I, I, you know, it's like when you're when you're leading with good energy and you're leading with love, you don't need that, like down energy Mm. all the time especially from fucking strangers Mm. you know and it's like who am I kidding and you know there there have been different incidents this year you know again with me just it's basic basic defense of black lives Mm. like I haven't been out here Mm -hmm. really going in like that you know I've gone to some of the protests and stuff but it's like it's still COVID. I had to go back inside. Mm-hmm. I had to finish this record. And, you know, like I, I try to show my support where I can, how I can. Um, but I've noticed that this has been a really busy time for casual racists. Um, I pissed off a lot of Bernie bros the other day with like a joke <laughs> I, I made. <laughs> and it, it was just kind of like one of those things where I'm like, look, you know, if, if, and in regards to anybody that had a question about the context, of uh, uh, the joke I, I had said that uh, something about uh, somewhere there's a Bernie bro uh, that writ that wrote in Kanye on the mm-hmm. ballot who's pretending like he doesn't know what's happening right now and this guy like decided to go all the way in on my comments like how are you gonna uh, uh, talk shit about Bernie supporters and blah 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 as if a bunch of Bernie supporters, didn't just completely ghost out in 2016 Mm -hmm. you know like i'm sorry as a black woman i'm not going to trust anything a white man tells me he's going to do until i actually see the result Mm -hmm. like until until the ink is dry and i see what you did which what happened yeah (laughs) it's true but i mean and, and the other thing is the audacity because they act like it's not the same person the same group of people that would you know vote for kanye and all out of spite because and it, and isn't. It, it doesn't even matter who they would vote for. It's more so it was more so a, hey, you know, I know white people are about to start lying to me again, because what was the first thing it said on, on the post? I think it said something. Oh, I said, I don't need live election results to let me know how racist America is. And so 
you know, people were so upset about that. And I'm like, you just found out America was racist this year. Get out of my fucking face with mm -hmm. this. Because, like, if you're just now finding out in 2020 how racist America is, when I know that I've been going everywhere and saying this, I know most black people I know have been saying this, being shushed about mm -hmm. it, being gaslit about it. You just make everything about race. Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. it's... It's it's all fun and games until it's black sensitivity mm. and then everybody wants to pretend that it doesn't exist. It, it goes back to what you were talking about earlier as far as like just our overall feelings and our strength levels. You know, I've had people that were like, why didn't you say anything? And I'm like, I did. And they're like, well, you I, well, I, I just didn't, you know, no, you were that serious. And I'm like, because I have been traumatized so much throughout my life as a black woman that it almost comes out monotone when I say something new has happened, mm. because sometimes I'm like, oh. Okay. Oh, they killed another <laughs> yes. one of us. Okay. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't have a reaction anymore mm -hmm. because, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how long I've been saying, oh, wait, no, I do know how long I've personally been saying it because I actually started working on a project about it. Um, but uh, on my 11th birthday, in June 7th, 1998, uh, James Bird Jr., uh, was murdered in Jasper, oh, yeah. Texas. Oh, my God. And that was the yeah. first, yeah, and that was like the first time that I remembered. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't a hate crime. Um, you know, I remember that. Yeah. It was, they say it wasn't a hate crime, even though his name sits on the hate crime bill next to Matthew Shepard's bill, but you never hear, hear it called with both Bird names. Bill. It's always just the Matthew Shepard hate crime bill, but it's actually the Matthew Shepard and James Bird Jr. hate crime bill. And, you know, I know this isn't a conversation about that, but it's like, that that case re really consumed me because I remember back then reading the the newspapers and them calling him a an alcoholic wanderer mm. who got picked up by these white guys and then basically found some trouble and then years later when I read NPR's follow up on everything it was no he, he yes he liked to party but they he was actually friends with one of the guys that murdered him. And the guy that he was friends with just so happened to become a white supremacist in jail. And his friend had also just gotten out of jail, the leader of the white supremacist group in jail. And uh, they just thought it would be great to drag this guy, you know, on some chains for three miles while he was still alive until his body broke apart. And, you know, I, I hate that I can say that like this, but it's like white folks don't know that. Mm -hmm. They don't know that mm -hmm. kind of pain. They don't know mm -hmm. anything no. like that. And and, you know, and that was in 1998. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and that and so now it's 2020 and we're now getting to see it in HD. Mm -hmm. We get to see ourselves get murdered in 4K. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like and, and I, I don't know what else to do other than keep speaking and saying that it's not OK, because, you know, this is the little bit of a platform that I do have. And, you know, I can't, I can't speak for other artists. I don't, I don't know why some of them don't speak up more. Maybe they, maybe it's just not their vibe or whatever. It hasn't affected so them directly, but it's you know, like, yeah. And, you know, and, and I never want to force somebody to, to do or speak out on something they just don't feel comfortable doing. Um, but I feel comfortable and I feel okay mentioning the fact that I'm not okay with this. And, um, you know, and I, and I feel like maybe if I keep saying that I'm not okay with it, maybe someone uh, that they all listen yeah. to 
will <laughs> will be able to add on to my sentiments and they'll be like, oh, I guess, you know, we should stop doing that. We should stop killing them. We should, you know, start treating them with respect. We should, we should, we should. But until until mm-hmm. then, you know, it is what it is. I'm very interested to see what the world is going to be like when it's open for real. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if I'm still going to encounter a lot of these racist experiences. I wonder if um, the people that do it will be allowed to like, will I, will I be allowed to mm. check them or will I still have to give them that or old, check them like, alone? Or is there going to be other people? That's what I want to see. Are there going to be actual white people to, you get know, are, are white folks going to step up and protect yeah. us? You know, like, and, and that's the, the thing I've yet to see uh, yeah. ever. So I, I would like to see something different happen that doesn't involve me, you know, mm-hmm. constantly, having my blood pressure raised mm-hmm. over, you know, someone else's hatred. So, um, that anyway. Would, and, and to, just to <laughs> kind of add to that a little bit, I think uh, two things. What's interesting about being a person and being in those white spaces growing up is that I there was a resistance in me because I enjoyed certain things that I was being opened up to, whether it was music, art, culture. But I remember getting so many warnings about and you're talking about James Bird, his friend, actually one of those guys was his friend. Like my mom used to like warn me about like white people and being friends with them. And I just, I like rejected a lot of that. I was like, no, you know what I mean? Like I, I enjoy my friends. And like now as an adult, it wasn't that she disliked white people per se, but when people don't understand your cultural experience and they haven't walked in your shoes, that's what she was. That's what she meant. You know what I mean? And now I realize a lot of things yeah. that my parents and it can become t- t- very yeah. dangerous when they it, don't when they don't understand what their silence can especially do in situations you. where you're maybe at the only black girl at a punk show, you know, back in the day. And you're with a group of your white friends and something racist happens to you and they basically just look like, OK, well, why is it a big, you know, so what? You know, and I'm sure you've, what, yeah. what's wrong? Exactly. Why I mean, in a, at a punk show, in a yeah, classroom, classroom and, wherever it is, you know, wherever it's it's like until better education is is given to white people, until they do uh, the work to heal themselves, it's going to be the same and over, over and yeah. over and over again. And we shouldn't have to be the ones helping them yeah. heal. You know, we shouldn't have to be the ones doing the mm-hmm. education, especially not for free. But, uh, you know, hey, I might I might give some advice for reparation, but, you know, it's a different conversation. But it's like, you know, if they're serious about it, they can do the work. You know, we spent the last however lifetime learning their way. And it's like we're not asking them to change much, only just to let us exist and be safe, too. And have peace, peace too. too. Exactly. Like, I I mean, I want you to tell us a little bit more about Homegirl Island and that. But I. uh, Yeah, I. (laughs) When I think about, it wasn't until, I guess quarantine was kind of the best, worst thing a lot of people are saying it to happen. And I got to, had to sit around and like do some thinking as a, as a person that's always been like, you know, a black progressive um, and kind of watching not only just, not, and like not, we're not harping on white people on this, you know, cause we know a lot of white people listen to this podcast. No, we, we love, love white folks. people. Just do better job. But also, please. like, even in this election, seeing the disappointment, like, I've seen a lot of black men show, but I've seen a lot of them just kind of pivot, you know, on us a little bit. So, and not to, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not putting them down or, you know, I'm not bashing black men. But what I'm saying is 
there is home. It is home. The girl community Island. has inner work. Island, Cam. Like we are really a lot of times we do get left alone with our own resources. And a lot of times I feel like and people may not agree with this sentiment or not, but I feel like a lot of times it is because we are silently outpacing people as a group. I said it. I said it. I don't disagree. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a lot of ways. I mean, I, right. don't, I don't disagree at all. You know, I feel like, and this is just coming from the creative space of someone yeah. that has constantly had to like right. push through endless blacklisting, be it through mm-hmm. what I've said or what someone's mm-hmm. opinion of me was whatever. Before jealousy, just plain old jealousy sometimes too, um, you know? And it, and it doesn't, you know, at this point, I, I don't care. All I can do is lead with love and kindness mm-hmm. and try to do better wherever it is that mm-hmm. I actually can affect change. Uh, but it goes back to the whole like kind of, kind of gatekeeper mm-hmm. thing. It's like, even with the gatekeepers trying to keep me in one spot throughout my career, I feel like, uh, you know, I've always just had this mindset of, I don't need you to mm. succeed. I don't need you to exist. I didn't, you know, you know, I, I can learn and this would be a great resource to have, but it's not going to make or break me. And a lot of these folks that are at the top, they get so drunk with that power and shit. And it's like, well, you can't do this unless I give mm-hmm. you permission or you can't. They and I'm like, so, baby, I'm so not slave. Cool. Like you need to go. Yeah. Again, gatekeeping, go through them. And it's like. Yeah. And I mean, like, and that's in every, every mm-hmm. city has that, you know, I, I had to deal with that very young mm-hmm. here in Houston with a lot of festival promoters and stuff trying to uh, teach me a lesson because I was ascending too quickly without uh, their, their personal liking. And, and honestly, like that shit was that blacklisting was happening for no a long time until, until I got proof. I had no idea until you told me about that. Oh yeah. And I mean, it wasn't until I had actual video proof of one of the, um, uh, promoters admitting this shit on on camera and I was just like no one will ever believe me no one will ever yeah. believe me if I if I don't record this because how many artists do you know oh they be blacklisting me oh they'd be like oh Cam's like you know like some, yeah of course or she she's like or her ego's uh-huh. gotten the best of her or whatever and it's like no I would just like to go in the studio and like make a record like the mm-hmm. white boys be doing and then go on tour and have a nice tour like all my white mm-hmm. friends be doing without a man especially a, a non-man of color telling me what I can't do or in this particular case a man purposefully making calls and sending emails uh, to get me kicked off of shows because he just mm-hmm. didn't like me. And so because you didn't kiss uh, the ring. You know, That's why. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't kiss any rings. I didn't let mm-hmm. anybody have sex with me. You know, I had tons of sex. Not but for those not, <laughs> not for personal gain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In that regard. And so it's it's like one of those things where I, I'm just like there's always gonna be somebody mm-hmm. out here trying to put me back in yeah. a fucking shackle. Like there's always going to be somebody out here trying to fucking right. control me for real. And, you know, I have chosen to just be my mm. ancestor's dream and yeah. do what I want and, you know, be that in the alternative spaces and like, you know, being as black and free as I can in those spaces to, mm-hmm. you know, making the type of music I want to make, wearing the clothes mm. I want to wear, doing my makeup the way I want to ma- make it, you know, and just really not catering to anybody's uh 
expectations yeah. of me. And, um, you know, for a long time, I really thought I had to because that's what I was told. And it's like, damn, once I got all these folks that didn't know shit about like what it is that I am as a black woman, but additionally, like what it takes to do this for real, like it became so much more enjoyable. It's like, damn, I just have to work hard and focus on myself. I just have to work hard and focus on my art. Like, okay, yes. At a certain point that becomes the job and it's enjoyable, but you know, it's a lot of bullshit on the way there. And until these folks are like taken out of these positions where they can continue Hmm. to make it hard for people on the way up, you know, it's going to be a lot of the same shit for a lot of people. And they come, they, they leave power. They, they try to come back because that being at the top, Show, show up, up in, in a, a new, new space, space and they'll do those things and to take it to a more positive to have a more positive perspective um there is and anybody that's listening to this that's like young i don't know who's we don't know who the listeners are but if they're young and you know black and in in these spaces mm-hmm. there is nothing that can be a testament to there is nothing that people can do to take you off whatever path your whatever your destiny is Thank you. Let let her be the example. You know what I mean? Without her, you know, yeah, just, like, keep, just going keep going. Because you'll, just keep if, going. If, and I've had, I mean, at 35 years old, I haven't, it's taken me a long time to get here. Therapy and to kind of like really get it. I don't know why, but that's just been my path. And now I've accepted that. So um, I hope that younger women are able to get it and see it, you know, materialize through you and other folk, you know, in, in these communities. And I and I think they will. I think that they'll get it and they'll do it better and they'll, you know, it'll be so much more uh, grandiose and hopefully expensive because mm-hmm. they'll get a budget. But like it, it's just it's one of those things where for every hardship I have, I'm like, mm-hmm. this is so temporary. This is so right now. This shit's so behind me already. And so because it's always a win, it's always a win after that. And like, you know, we live in a culture where celebrating your losses aren't isn't really that big of a thing. But it's like I have to look back on both because it's like I feel like I can't appreciate both when I don't look at how far I've come. So tell us about Homegirl Island. Tell us about this I mean, tell us more about some of the things and you're working on or that you're willing to tell us about during quarantine that's yeah. kind of been the um, Well, Homegirl Island has been a couple years in the making uh, and it, it did start uh, around the time that I realized I was being blacklisted for real. And I was like, damn, this is why it's so hard. Um, and around that time, I was having a really just shitty time in love as well. And so I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I feel like I inside of the friend zone, I feel like I'm always just mm. homegirled all the time. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to just go to this island where I don't have to worry about dating or producers trying to fuck up my, um, excuse mm-hmm. me, festival promoters uh, trying to fuck up my trajectory. So uh, I named it Homegirl Island and I started making music that was kind of like in the theme of something that I felt like you would hear on an island. And then uh, when the pandemic hit, I was like, okay, I, yes, I can continue doing my work with the sufferers and I love that. But I was like, I have to start uh, something of my own. And uh, it's a mixed, it's, it's a production company, but we do everything from producing actual music to events to virtual concert experiences um, it's also part of my company where I do public mm-hmm. speaking and um, hosting and everything. And so it's just another part of my mm-hmm. brand. And 
Um, it's, it's where I get to just be completely a thousand percent my weirdo self because ain't nobody going to kick me exactly, off anything because yeah. it's mine. So that's the thing about being a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I open yeah. encourage other people to, to yeah, go and do um, the same. I think, I think that's been the lesson. I think that's the point that, that we've come to as a, as a minority group of women and BIPOC is that we realize that, you know, instead of, and I mean, this has been a thing for a long time, but I think collectively now we're like, okay, yeah, we can't just wait for them to make these offers to us. We're just going to start making our own shit and figuring out a way. We always figure you out a way to. around it. With you have to. If you focus on creating your own wave, everything yeah. else will fall into line. Like every, it always falls into line. It's so hard to like, to imagine like, oh man, how am I going to execute this when you're alone or you don't have money or whatever. But it's mm-hmm. like, if you got a vision and an iPhone, you good. Like, cause look, I, I tell people like, all I need is my iPhone in my yeah. mind. I'm good. <laughs> like, I don't need all this other yeah. stuff. And, you know, cause I didn't use to have shit. I didn't have a cell phone for so long. Like I had to like figure out other stuff. And so sometimes you can feel so limited when, you know, you have all the tools around you for real. It will it take a lot longer? Hell yeah. But it's yours. And I'm really into mm-hmm. like mine. You know, do you, do you so. feel like um, I know that recently like a lot of creatives of there's a huge thing here where people feel like they can't let go of um, they have to be full time artists. And um, a lot of people are leaving where, you know, L.A. and places like that. And I think there's a stigma mm-hmm. that you have to be in a place like New York City or L.A. to make it in any field. And I want people to know that that's bullshit now. Now we know. <laughs> Complete bullshit. Sorry. Yeah, no, girl. I just, I'd be laughing. <laughs> it's one-on-one, but this is the one-on-one. I just want to get that out of the way and tell, explain that. Okay. Explain that. Here, I, I, I'll, I'll put it very <laughs> simple in layman's terms. Um, L.A., New York, mm-hmm. Nashville, Austin, Toronto, Tokyo, London, Paris, Sydney. Yes. Yes, there mm-hmm. are resources. Yes, tons of resources. Yes, communities. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, okay, great, awesome. But a lot of the people that be really thriving in this shit mm-hmm. are not from those places. A lot of people that be really thriving in this shit on the road like that, they don't live in town. They don't. They don't live mm-hmm. in town. They don't want to see y'all. They want to be alone. <laughs> Atlanta too. You know, it's it's like it doesn't matter when you, especially when when you when you have a product like that, like a business like that. If your band's been torn for a while, you. You're a successful artist, you're you're you make movies, whatever. You show up when it's time to work. When you off work, everybody knows most people that be working mm-hmm. in the films don't live in LA. Unless you know, you like it's like, like most people that working in the don't. That is it. <laughs> yeah. They live in Denver, they live in Vegas, mm-hmm. they live in San Diego, they live in the maybe the Bay. But it's like you, it doesn't matter where you live. It, you just better show your ass up for work on time. You better be at that tour bus when it's getting ready to leave. You better mm-hmm. be at the van when it's getting ready to leave. Um, mm-hmm. Better be on site when call the you know, call time says you're supposed to be there. Um, if you need the city mm-hmm. to help boost yeah. you, like, cool. Like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I live in yeah. LA. I'm by coastal, yeah. whatever. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. shit. Like, who, who's yeah. going to say you're not? Like, who is going to say you're not? Mm-hmm. No one would not believe you. Like, that. that was something that 
when I first, I didn't really do it in LA that much because um, when I first started my career, I actually wasn't going to Los Angeles for uh, music stuff as much as I was just for mm-hmm. like visiting my family or friends. But New York, <laughs> I definitely uh, put the time and, and work there from from a young age and really got to see like, oh, you can really mm-hmm. fake it till you make it here. Oh, where you know, I'm flying in from Houston and like playing like once a month at this point back when I was solo. Um, and people were like, oh, where do you live? And I'd be like, oh, uh, <laughs> the village. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Harlem. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, girl, me too. And it's like, is it lying or are you are you connecting? Like, what are you doing? You know, and so um, at a certain point, it became more valuable for me to actually live in Houston and uh, to make that a part of my brand because it was. And I do love the city so much and, and I, I have gotten so much from it. Um, it's been actually really valuable to connect with so many people during the pandemic because a lot of people in L.A. and New York when they live there, forget that they're from Houston for some reason. I think that's really funny. And so it's been like awesome to like see both of those cities back home. It's like, what's that? You know, even though, well, you're like, what's that? You know, I got your mask, but um, it's been also beautiful to see because it's like, damn, you know, if they came from here and they're really mm-hmm. getting to see it grow like that, you know, they'll continue to understand that. Mm-hmm. you're paving the way and there's going to be more mm-hmm. artists from Houston. There's going to be more creatives from Houston that come after you. And that's in every city. And I don't feel as though living in an industry city is mandatory. Mm-hmm. I think it, be, it can be helpful depending on what it is you're trying to do. But I like the Reba McIntyre approach, which is I go to Nashville, do my business. Mm-hmm. And then I, I see that approach. <laughs> I, I go to LA approach. to do my business. Uh, and, and, and like, and honestly, like there are some people like you mentioned before, like myself, like I, I have to work under pressure. I do not do well um, when I'm, when pressure is not applied. So this has been good for me, but I am like, I think that, you know, personally hearing this from other people too, that live here, that have like moved to Atlanta, that there are people that are like working, uh, moving back to Atlanta or moving to Georgia, or moving to Houston, back to Houston, um, it is, there is something with that, that is comforting in, the, in a sense. Cause it's like, everything is tech, everything's, everybody's remote right now. And I don't really don't think after this COVID thing is over with that, it's going to just be snap back to normal. I think that this is going to be a cultural change. I think a lot of businesses are going to be remote. Um, I know for some businesses, they've probably seen yeah. that they're more productive remote Everybody don't like their coworkers like exactly. that. People, you really think yeah. people want to be kicking yeah. like that? Like, nah, bro. I'd see <laughs> exactly. all the Zoom. Let me do my shit. Like, but um, at the same time, it's like for me, it's been a blessing to be able not only to mm-hmm. get the rest a little bit from the tour, but to really take a, a moment to dive into like my other headspace. Like, 2020 has really allowed me to to become more mm-hmm. of an interdisciplinary artist, which. I'd never had the chance to really explore in that regard because I was always mm-hmm. waiting for permission for some reason, I guess. And so, um, you know, this was the year of, all right, we're, we're a professional writer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're getting checks. All right. What else are we professional at? Oh, I'm a professional visual artist now. You know, I'm doing these large scale installations and, you know, yes. these like wild backdrops and, you know, just kind of diving in more into like what that means to me. And um, 
seeing how I can use my art to tell more black stories. I just actually finished up my first, um, uh, excuse me, my first residency, which is a virtual residency through the Project oh, yeah. Warehouses here in Houston and uh, the Goethe, excuse me, the Goethe Foundation out of Germany. Um, and the grant mm -hmm. itself was called There Black People in the Future. And so Homegirl mm -hmm. Island was actually a part of uh, that art space because Homegirl Island also serves as a oh, nice. sci-fi utopia <laughs> for for black women where they can just be themselves and say what they want without worrying about exile or uh, ridicule or violence. And so um, that that particular space took took mm -hmm. place in a future environment, but it goes public next week. And so um, I finished the performance and installation for that. Mm -hmm. And so you're like seeing the last remnants of what was yeah. behind me. Oh, that's dope. I think that, yeah, we need those spaces. We're going to need them going forward. I don't care what anybody says. Like we're still going to need them. And um, oh, we have to. I'm curious we have to know to. now, like what, what would you like to see going forward as far as this movement, creative movement? Like what are some things that you would like to see happening in the near future or your hopes? <sighs> Constant account, excuse me, constant accountability uh, and not just choosy accountability. I would like to see across the board accountability within this industry. It is achievable. The creative industry is like mm. one big high school when you really look at it. And just like every big major corporation that has these kind of rules, you know, we have to start taking ourselves a bit more seriously so that uh, that respect is there and, and not just for people of color, but, you know, people that happen mm -hmm. to love a different way, people that, you know, have disabilities. And so it's like if we're not stepping up for people when it comes to the most basic of rights and liberties, you know, I feel like it's only going to become uh, more and more of a thing. So. Yeah, it it's I I just want to see accountability mm -hmm. taken seriously. That sounds, and that sounds great. At, at one point earlier, I was like, "Gonna ask you, yeah." The, I mean, An opportunity. I, when we initially Sorry. planned this, the election hadn't happened, and I. Um, but now that it has happened, it does feel lighter a little bit. Like I know there's work ahead, but I feel like these past two weeks have been a breather. Yeah, but I'd rather yes. be holding Joe Biden and Kamala accountable than this fool that said he ain't gonna get nobody no no briefing. It has been a breather, and, and I was whatever the hell else he said. Like, die. Like that's a whole other thing. Like I haven't really been acknowledging yeah. that he's even yeah. here. Like so many people. Like when I do, it just makes me mad, angry. Like like mm -hmm. so mad, and so I just like. Yeah. Pretend like we don't yeah. have a president. I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, we'll get, we're going to get one soon, you know? Like, like, you know, like when your supervisor gets, like, fired and nobody knows why, I'm just kind of like, yeah, we'll have somebody new coming soon. Like, I just feel like this is a very bad retail <laughs> shift that I just can't get. No one's cut me loose yet, and so... Or like a restaurant like, shift, you're like in feels. the weeds and you just can't get, <laughs> get the worst customers. Yeah, that's what, that's what it feels like. Uh, I feel like I'm back. I'm back. At, <laughs> I won't even say the company, I, but it was not good. I, uh, it was not good. My I'm, expectation, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. I will say that I am in a more positive space. And I'm happy that things have ended up the way it, it has because my anticipation for this interview was to go the opposite way. And I was going to tell Scott, just play the Ether instrumental at Cam Talk and like flame this, flame this oh, no. podcast. <laughs> Man, yeah. No, I, you know, what's funny is like I had a, I had a backup plan. I had a, a guy that I was seeing a few years ago. I was like, look, 
if I can't get this, if this fool gets elected, like, look, let's talk about the benefits it's of my passport. Exactly. Yeah. Get out of here. Like we, we need to talk, we need to have a serious conversation. And he was like, yes. Cam. And I'm like, yeah. I'm serious. I, I think that was back up. <laughs> and so, um, but now I can I can take a little yeah. bit of a breather. I'm still watching mm-hmm. heavily and, and winking right. at him just That's in case. I'm So goes I guess I th- that was uh, this has been really dope to talk to you today. And I'm glad you did. Thank you for doing this, because you've always, always, always been yes. available there for me. And I appreciate I'm team Marseille. It. Thank you for being here <laughs> in the, you know, the worst of times, the best of times for me. And I appreciate it. Um, love you to death. Oh yeah, of course, of course. I'm I'm excited (laughs) to see this new era of of Um, you. I think it's great. What was I going to say? Yeah. So (laughs) tell us. Make sure this is something I don't want to forget. Homegirl Island. Tell us about your IG. Tell everybody where they can find you and what to look out for in the next coming in the next couple you know months and stuff and you know what to do. Yeah. Uh, so I would tell folks if the, if you want something immediate to go to the suffers.com and you know, this, the suffers is my, my main boo. So, you know, that's, that's where we're always doing stuff. We actually just released a new single called take me to the good time. Oh yeah. That song is dope. Uh, maybe like a month yeah. or two ago. Thank you so much. And so, um, we, we just kind of, you know, just been spreading the word about that. Um, and as far as homegirl Island, I am, finishing up the production on this third Suffers record. I'm finishing production additionally on a uh, a funk (laughs) record. It's a funk Mm -hmm. choral social justice project. (laughs) Uh, I listened to a shit ton of Parliament and um, uh, Brazilian instrumentals during the summer to kind of just keep myself up. And so I think this has probably been a huge reflection of that. And so um, I had the opportunity to bring in different uh, singers that I felt um, either needed that opportunity or they came from marginalized groups or situations where maybe it would have taken a long time before that opportunity came along. And so um, I'm really grateful because that particular record was uh, financed by a grant through the Houston Arts Alliance. And so it'll be, uh, hopefully it'll be done in the next couple of weeks here, but um, yeah, we're looking to do a, uh, a public presentation of at least the music before the end of the year. And yeah, like I'm just looking forward to working with more people, um, sitting in that production chair more and learning more uh, and just, you know, <laughs> try yeah. to live a, le- a less stressful life. I've I've started started putting more focus into practicing on this guitar instead of being on the Internet. So. Um, <laughs> I'd say if you want to find me, you know, just, just catch <laughs> well, that's me good. And, I, and like also, yeah, thank you again for doing this. And um, hopefully, you know, I'm excited to see we'll both be seeing each other on the gram. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I hope you yes, guys. Yes, yes, right. yes. There'll be more once these records are done.